and welcome back to Vox Popcast, the weekly pseudo-acclimate roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-hosts, Hannah and Wayne. How's it going, guys? Hey, Mav. I, I, I could repeat what I said last week, which is everyone should donate to an abortion fund. Yes. Uh, there's a, well, uh, that, that will come up at the end of the show, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah but I, also... But, Top of the show too. <laughs> Just, oh no, I think it's, it's yeah. I think constant and utter rage at the current state of the United States is fine. I think that's completely reasonable. Yeah, and it's a hopeful thing to donate to an abortion fund because your dollars will go to people who have been working on the cause for years and know what to do. And instead of re- gratuitous fundraising on tragedy, sure. I mean, uh, sure, sure that. But you know, it's like a really concrete, like useful action you can do, and that's always a good thing. So. So I'm I am angry, but I am choosing hope. And that's one very easy way if you have money that you can help, even if it's just a, you know, five dollar recurring donation monthly or something. I might have money soon. That's my news for the week. I don't have money yet, but I might have money soon. <laughs> I have a job finally. Yay. Yay. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that I've been like not talking about for weeks and things were happening, but I am starting in the fall. I will no longer be just teaching everywhere in Pittsburgh. I will be teaching full time for the University of Pittsburgh as a lecturer of digital narrative and interactive design, which is odd and sounds way more technical than it is, but it is very much a a nice university teaching job, very much based around, you know, being me, which is kind of neat and cool. So I'm looking forward. (laughs) That's my exciting news, which is actually the good news of the week. I'm going to book a guest appearance in one of your classes at some point. Point. Absolutely, I, I will figure out what, what I'm talking about later. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah the best. Yeah, my my favorite way of teaching is like, hey, like podcasting. You know, it's like, oh, you want to come in and just be a guest? Sure. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a week where I don't have to do anything. That's awesome. <laughs> Not what we're talking about this week, though. Not exactly. No. This is hey, Hannah. This is your topic this week, I guess technically, but it's sort of everybody's topic. Yeah, but. kind of everybody's topic. Yeah, yeah, it's. I don't know how we didn't do this since four out of five of the hosts are. Stranger Things fans, and we've been watching, I think, for you know, years and years, all of us. Mm-hmm. But we've never done a show, and that seems odd given it's like the most popular thing, probably because ratings are weird, but that's not the show. But <laughs> Stranger Things, we're talking about Stranger Things, which is great because the end of volume two of season four released on Netflix this past Friday, mm-hmm. and like sane people, we all stayed up super late and watched it when it came out. Some of us recreated Stranger Things themed desserts. Oh, so not just our favorite show, as you pointed out. Favorite show of, of many people. It is currently, according to Netflix's internal metric that they publish, it is the highest rated English show on Netflix, placing for now at least Bridgerton, which was formerly the highest rated English show on Netflix. I have a sneaking suspicion that they just are always going to say whichever one is current is the highest rated between the two of them. But from what they're telling us, it is beating everything except Squid Games. But we're not talking about ratings. We'll do a rating show sooner or later. Right now, we're just going to talk about the about Stranger Things, but I guess we should introduce the guests because we, we we brought several guests this time so hannah would you like to start yes yeah, so i brought josh uh, returning to the show the created like the recreator i suppose of the uss butterscotch <laughs> Hi, everyone. 
Hey, Josh. It was a delicious episode. <laughs> Greatest thing we've ever done. We have to, we'll, we'll put a picture in the show notes, I guess, so that people know what you're talking about. But just explain what is the USS Butterscotch? So the USS Butterscotch features in season three of Stranger Things when Steve and Robin work at Scoops Ahoy. It's the signature like banana split Sunday dish. And it's a banana split that looks like a boat. And we have a boat banana split Sunday container and we have waffle cones sales and we did our best to recreate it based on the show it, it looked amazing thank you yeah it looked like it looked like death to me but uh, yeah. i'm entirely completely and fatally allergic to milk so, yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be an issue. but for those of you who were like who are worried about the sugar content and whether or not we'll die of sugar just know that the shortbread porthole cookies are sugar free mm. so uh, well i'm glad you're taking care of yourself yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a banana in it too so. you're right, right. Yeah. yeah it's fruit it's and we have nuts balanced diet cherries are also fruit yeah about Totally, mm-hmm. you know, normal and great thing. Uncles are a fruit, right? Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> Speaking, there was a voice in there, so I just yeah. I'll, I'll introduce my guest as well. I also brought a guest. I brought my wife Stephanie, who is a big fan of the show. I am, nice. especially this season. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. As we were watching the final part of the season yesterday, it was like this is the best season they've ever done. I was like, what well, do you want to just come on tomorrow? And so <laughs> <laughs> I was raving much earlier than that. Yeah. Anyway. yeah. <laughs> but you are also a big fan of the show. Steph did not make a. a banana split boat thing. Out of respect. <laughs> Thank you. But we have another guest. We brought a guest who, you know, does not live with us with either <laughs> head up, right? <laughs> which is weird. I want to welcome back to the show, Mr. Producer Andrew Dorowski, which is always great because it sounds like you produce like this show, which you don't. But as far as I'm concerned, you know, produce every podcast. <laughs> welcome back, Andrew. Hey, Hello. Andrew. Andrew is a producer of the protagonist podcast and of, I haven't had to say this out loud in a while disney uh, animation minute essentials nailed it you got it right okay. i felt like i missed a letter but okay yeah disney, okay. disney animation minute essentials <laughs> all right awesome welcome back you just like wrote me like we hannah posted the blog about we're gonna do a stranger things episode and then you're like you were right on it and i was like but it's not a disney show <laughs> no it's it's not but this is, I mean, so the blog post went up between the two volumes of the fourth season, mm-hmm. which I guess everyone's getting comfortable with the terminology for all of that. And at that point, like I was as into Stranger Things as I had ever been. I was like, OK, I'm all in right now after being like relatively checked out after season three, you know, or within a few months after season three. I was like, OK, like maybe they'll do more Stranger Things. I'm not sure. And it seems like it's going to take forever to do it. <laughs> But once I watched the first chunk of season four, I was like all the way in. Awesome. So so, so before we talk about volume four, should we do a bit of a pitch or set up for Stranger Things for people who don't watch the show? But before we go into spoilers. Lo- yeah, like, yeah, like log off and like, you know, yeah. <laughs> go for a, it. A spoilerless yeah. discussion. Um, so I'll, I'll since I'm asking the question, I'll turn it over to you all first. Like, why should people watch Stranger Things? Like, what is like the big attraction to the show for you generally? kids on bikes this is what i call the kid on bike genre it is a genre yeah it's a, it is an et yeah goonies you, you got your stand by me you got your it like the kids don't necessarily have to have bikes but they are a bike riding age and really the bikes yeah, really I, help yeah set, it is very much an 80s, 80s. So, yeah, it's yeah. very much an 80s genre 
And I guess, again, it d- does it have to be in the 80s? No, but, you know, it really, like, because the original It does not take place in the 80s. It was, you know, the book came out in the 80s. So the original It, I guess, takes place, the book and the original TV miniseries, those are, I guess, in the 60s. The adults were set in the 80s whenever the book the came 80s. out. But the right. flashback to their childhood, yeah, it was like 60s. Yeah, and, and Wayne, you've written a book on the of the kids on bikes genre. And- I, I have. <laughs> I'm going to wait to the end of the episode to promote that because I never have anything to promote. But yeah, yeah. it's it, my book, King of Summer, is it's this genre. It, it came out 20 years ago. And when I watched the first season of Stranger Things, I was like, well, holy shit, everybody needs to read my book now. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, it, it is. That's the appeal for me. It is very much. And I'll talk about this as we get into spoilers. So I don't want to do it too much. But at least at its heart, the show is very much of the theory that, you know, everything is scary when you're a kid. And therefore, what happens when the things you're scared of are literal, actual demons and monsters? So it is taking the anxieties of childhood and pubescence and making them literal with these and, actual things that can kill you. And, and to me, that is always a fascinating genre, whether yeah, it's it, into your strength. Yeah, it gives a primacy to young people. They're the ones who are able to see this. They're surrounded by adults who are clueless. Mm-hmm. I, there are some exceptions, you know, people who play a role in it, but for the most part, the adults are clueless to this and the kids see it and no one believes them. So it, mm-hmm. it gives, say, it gives a primacy to that fear of, you know, when you're children. I think there's also that, this is also very much a coming of age story for a lot of these characters and more so as we've had four seasons of it, seeing them grow and you know, the metaphor of all these things going through that they're going through for growth and change and not being a kid anymore. Unrelated to all of Stranger Things, but like this is just giving you an example. I, I saw, and I mean, it's just no one famous. This is just someone that I randomly happened to know was talking on Facebook about being a school librarian for a, a middle school. And they were hanging out in the middle school library and they were overhearing a group of kids meeting in the library a couple months ago. They were meeting in the library discussing the end of the mask mandate for COVID. And it's, so it's a bunch of 12 year olds talking about and they called a meeting amongst themselves to discuss whether or not they wanted to continue the mask mandate on their own because they felt as though adults could not be trusted to have their best interest at heart. And so they got together and they voted and came to a near unanimous decision that they were going to continue this mask mandate and to hell with whatever the school thought. <laughs> So, so, so these kids at the school continue to wear masks for the rest of the season because they were right, you know, but it's, you know, what are you going to do? And they were, they basically had a discussion where they're like, okay, the adults are being stupid. Clearly we need to do this. We don't care what, you know, our parents say, we're going to wear masks and try and stop us. And the, you know, my friend was just like, you know, just giddily just being super happy at the, you know, the intelligence of children who understand that (laughs) that adults are stupid. So I think that's what it is. And it's, you know. But we do a monster instead. Yeah. And I think another part of this genre is pretty much in every one of these things we've mentioned, the main cast, the kids, they're all the outsiders. They're the weirdos who don't feel a part of the world around them. They're not the jocks. They're not, you know, they're not the, the popular kids. So there's that piece of, of well for, you know, it just, it appeals to anyone who has ever felt like an outsider, which I think in general, no matter what the cliches of the popular kids are, all teenagers feel like an outsider at some point, mm-hmm. but I, they just kind of all really focus on 
oh, these are the weird kids. And But the show does definitely touch on the fact that no matter what group you're from, you yes. might feel like an outsider and you might be mm-hmm. longing for someone to care about you and yeah. care about for someone. And I would have watched the show anyway, right? Because it's like about all the 80s movies that I grew up with, even though I'm a 90s child. But the characters, like, I think somewhat accidentally in some of their cases, and we can get into that when we get into spoilers, like, become like not what you think they are. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the characters are the asset of the show. Like, yeah. I love the characters. Andrew, you seem like you you agree (laughs) yeah yeah so for me like the 80s nostalgia doesn't play a big role right i like i watched i don't watch et right like i've seen it but it doesn't have a big impact on me same with like monster are you and all those all the 80s movies and then also it's semi horror genre right Mm -hmm. and i'm not deep in the horror genre and so i know that they're making specific references especially in this fourth season they make some Mm -hmm. very pointed references like you haven't really watched those movies, so that's not working for me. But somehow the show still works for me overall, right? Just having an awareness of that sort of stuff. Yeah, it still cool. comes through for me where I can say, yeah, but like these characters, like at least some of them are going through like good developmental mm-hmm. processes and are growing as characters and their relationships are changing. And that is good and satisfying and enjoyable to watch, whether I need to see E.T. homages all mm-hmm. the time. Well, it succeeds as being something more than just a pastiche of all the things they're referencing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's doing some things, but it's also doing it effectively enough that it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be in communication, in conversation with those things. Right. Mm-hmm. Whether I get the references to E.T. or not, I can still enjoy this show and other people enjoy it because of the conversations it's having with other media. But that's not the only thing it's doing. Right. Yeah. And I do want to get into those some of those conversations with the spoilers, though, because I think that this show and I don't know if some of you would disagree with me or not, is not repeating the 80s like it's set in the 80s, but it's very much a show that's speaks to our current moment oh yeah i I very much that we'll talk about details of that too it, yes. that is in my opinion both a strength and a weakness of the show um, yeah i guess for me i'm not a big fan of 80s movies to be honest what's wrong with you what are you a monster <laughs> i am a monster yes <laughs> but yeah i do appreciate the nostalgia and it brings you back and i think what you're saying maybe it doesn't have like the details of the 80s like it doesn't have like the politics of the 80s or things sort of peripheral stuff that are- i don't want to go too much into details until we get into spoilers but there's some thematic shifts that i think it make it very much a 21st century show and not an 80s show and i will make some connections once we right and i think yeah and i think that's kind of an advantage of focusing on the kids and they don't care about like the stuff that you know we care about in retrospect i guess and so it just feels like it just it makes it feel like to me i feel like it goes sort of back to my childhood with the show and feel like kind of the i don't know you just it's just like you feel the innocence of the kids and feel like, I don't know, the courage, the hopefulness of being a kid in the 80s. But it's just, I don't know. Both. I love the nostalgia. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because now I know in retrospect. Yeah, just a couple other like draws, I think, for the show are, are one, like anybody that's ever lived in Durham, North Carolina, <laughs> Tanner, I can attest, like really, really love the show because of all the yeah, uh, street, street, references, there? street references and all the uh, geographical references that are just like literally peppered through the show. There's all the random street names they're mentioning are mostly places in like, downtown Durham. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Um, so the, oh, the Dunn brothers are from Durham, North Carolina. Right. Just to, it, yeah. it doesn't take place there, but so you're saying that they just use the actual street <laughs> names that of yeah, like, like a bunch of are. the major roads in Durham are just mentioned throughout the show every season. In the fourth season, there's actually like a map of North Carolina. There's a 
plot point where they have like a, a spoof phone call that's they're using a Durham phone number. It's kind of uh-huh. funny. But they have a map and they're, actually, they're not even showing like Durham. They're showing like Winston-Salem, North Carolina off of like 50 miles, but it's pretty funny. So that's one this is one kind of fun note. The show's kind of playful like that. And then and secondly, it also has a really good soundtrack. I think they've made a really good effort to kind of curate the soundtrack and it, the songs generally match up with like the years of the mm-hmm. show. So they're bringing a bunch of different genres and and uh, kind of it's a hits, hits parade, you know, every season. Uh, Kate Bush just had the best three weeks of her life yep. for something she recorded 35 years ago. Yeah, right, that um, nobody knew about. I've heard yeah. the song many times. Well, yeah. we had that song, nobody knew what the song was, yeah. like yeah. a couple years ago, and I knew. Okay, so I don't know how much of this we can really talk about without spoilers. So just as a general rule, I guess we're all saying that if you've not seen the show, you should go and see it. We all enjoy it. It is a, a around-the-board, we all say this is a definite thumbs-up recommendation. That, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. All right. So, now you've been warned. So, from here on out... Spoiler alert. Okay, so now, spoilers in effect for the rest of the episode. We are going to talk about, as I say, we are going to spoil the shit out of the fourth season of Stranger Things, and I guess all the other ones, but you've yeah, been warned like We're talking here. about everything. Yes, we're talking about, this is not just about the fourth season, but we, as we record, the fourth season dropped yesterday, and all of us have made sure that we watch these two super long final episodes of four hours because we were like, oh, we have to get on this. So it's yep. all fresh in our minds, but we are going to talk about Stranger Things in depth and what we loved and didn't love about it. So now you've had your warning. Tune out now. But before you do, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes Apple Podcast. Bumps <laughs> 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 the algorithm. Really, you know, really helps us out that we appreciate that. And you know, when you're done with the fourth season, or if you don't mind spoilers, you know, please come back and hear us talk about it. <laughs> we deserve five stars just for giving you this warning. That's right. Absolutely. I mean, people on Twitter are not so kind. True. <laughs> uh, I I avoided the internet all I mean I, I did too. Steph I did the, all the things. <laughs> oh, I didn't I Steph had to work in the morning and I was basically you, you know hurry up and go. I kept threatening yeah, you to watch it without I was really her. impressed that you were able to hold off It's <laughs> okay. like, come back because I'm going to watch this and I need to know. But we did get through all of it. So I guess the starters, just to get it out of the way, Hannah, you had a fear. Um, I did. Uh, <laughs> a pathological fear. You're not alone in this. Which I yep. Oh, Josh is so irritated with me right now. The whole world is like, anyone who's talked to me in the past two weeks has been like, calm down. Just, <laughs> so, I've said this. I think I've displaced all my like anxiety about the world onto Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. And I was terrified they were going to kill off Steve, but they didn't. I really appreciate all of your restraint and not being like, yay, Hannah, it's okay. You can watch. <laughs> can I just but say, I- though? <laughs> They, they didn't kill him, but boy, did they telegraph like they were going to. They gave yes. him not one, yeah. but I, two retirements coming speeches. Yeah, what, yeah, like I, two I, in two episodes. I'm like, they're going to kill Steve. They gave him the retirement and family speech. Yeah, I got this I, dream of raising And then again. I was yeah, like, why know, are I, they doing it again? Now everyone the, knows. This is the first time that I've, I have just genuinely not felt secure that any of them would survive. I, of the main cast, yeah. Uh, yeah, of the main cast. I mean, Eleven is got one just because we know there's another season. I think she's so to, much the main character, but 
To me, yeah, it's most I, interesting if she actually died. I mean, and uh, yeah. I was like, I, I thought like there, I was like the ballsiest There's movie in the world would be to kill Eleven yeah. and then make them fight the because like so here was the thing yeah. that made me think there was a there's several points in this series which I really loved about season four. Some people were complaining, well, they're split up and you know it's weird not having the kids, but I loved that they weren't there because my yes. favorite thing of this season was watching the kids who were in Hawkins try to explain to Eddie, you know, you know what you yeah. know. Yeah. What are you going to do? And, he, do and she's right. like, yeah, and they're like, and Steve's like, look, so, okay. So usually we rely on this girl who has superpowers, but she's not here anymore. So and <laughs> and she it's doesn't just have like, superpowers. And, she so doesn't, yeah, gonna, and, and this is like literally them. They're no longer, there's a point where uh, Steve's like, oh, I'm stuck babysitting again. And Nancy says, they're not babies anymore. And they're not. And just yeah, watching, mm-hmm. particularly with of the Hawkins crew, Dustin and yeah. Steve and Nancy, to a lesser yeah. extent, Robin as well, because she's and Erica, they've gone through it once. But Dustin, Steve, and Nancy are like, okay. They're time to save the world again this is how we do this and it's not stupid it's literally like okay we're going to work out you know how do we plan to mm-hmm. save the world what you know wh- where's your part what are you going to do and i love that about this season i love mm-hmm. that they were not relying on now it turns out 11 gets her powers back and in the end you know there's this weird team up nobody knows they're teaming up and which was kind of neat but i love that they're just like it doesn't matter if she's here or not yeah it's time to go to work this is what we do and even you know, when it's like Max, who, by the way, is my favorite character on the show, yeah. who I was most who I was most worried about. Max is like, yeah, well, you know, I'm going to be the bait here because that's my job in this scenario. So this is just how it's got to be. And everybody's worried about it. She's like, no, this is how it's got to be. Yeah. And what was really interesting about her is watching her give almost the exact same beat for beat speech yeah. to Lucas that Hopper gives to Joyce. And, and they literally mm-hmm. like, no, this is how it works. Someone's got to be the bait. It's going to be me. And the I thought whole season had a lot of that. We them being split up in different places. And they set this up in the first episode, but seeing those. I mean, you know, the upside down is kind of a mirror universe, not in the Star Trek kind of way, but you know, it's a dark mirror of our world. And we see all those very similar scenes play out in these what, four different locations. In that first episode where we have Lucas doing the basketball thing at Hellfire Club playing D&D, and the way that was shot, the, you know, the ball bouncing on the court, the dice bouncing on the table, I thought that was just beautiful. And it's set up just as a visual metaphor throughout that these things are taking place in different places, but there are resonances and these actions mirror each other. And that's mm-hmm. played throughout the entire season. One of my big questions was when they made the choice to put half the team in California when the show mm-hmm. started. It's like, okay, we've got to make our way back to Hawkins. It's like, I remember talking with Steph about it. It's like, that's a long way. And they're driving there, you know. It's and 25 hours from Ruth, Nevada, where they end up to like Indiana. Just right. Yeah. Sorry. So, right. So, if you're driving around the clock, you would probably still be too late to help in the final yeah. battle. And I just assumed they were going to have to pay, play with time a little bit. Like, what are they going to do? Yeah. And then it gets worse when it's like, and now Hopper and Joyce are, are in Russia. And it's like, if they're really split up. How is everybody going to get back together to fight the what? big bad at the end? And then and brilliantly, they don't. Yeah. And I'm going <laughs> to say that this plays with, they've been using the D&D metaphor from the beginning. And one, mm-hmm. of, the, one of the core rules when you're playing D&D is don't split the party. Right. Mm-hmm. The people then, make the show are aware of that. 
you know, right. and, and, if, and when you do split the party, so D and D, and also it's the Justice Society of America comic book. Yeah, it is. It is, yeah. and by it's the Gardner sorry. Fox method, <laughs> right? It's the guy, and this is this is, happens in comics. It happened in Justice Society of America going back literally to the 1940s. It's what I did frequently, and we did like eight years of Cosmic Hellcats, and I did it in every single year. There's a point when the party splits up; they all go off on solo missions so that they can come back together and you know team up at the end, and then that's how they fight mm-hmm. the big bad. It's just it is a kind of team-based storytelling that you do. And I did it on purpose. Like, I mean, I, yes. I was intentionally like homaging this thing, which is why I kept doing it over and over again. But they do that here and they don't make it back together. I mean, yes, Eleven kind of cheats it a little bit so that she can be in scenes in two places. But I love that you, we, you talked about like them not being kids and you talked about the adults not understanding. There is a point where Hopper and Joyce like Joyce doesn't tell the kids where she's going when she goes to save Hopper. And then once they're there and they find out that the kids are fighting demons again, they're like, well, what can we do to help from here? We're never going to make it back in time. And they literally say, here's what we're going to do. It's a hive mind. We're going to go and destroy the monsters here to weaken the hive mind and then just pray that it helps our kids out. That's literally all they can do. <laughs> they like have they, no idea for the work. There's no, there's, there's no evidence that it actually contributes. Right. And they just, any other show would be like, oh my God, do the home alone move right the movie home alone is i'm going to move heaven and earth to get back to my kid because i'm a parent and that's what i've got to do i've yeah. got to go protect my kid yeah i thought joyce was extremely rational in right. that moment. There, there was just trust here it's just like look we cannot get to america it's not going to happen so we are going to help here and we are going to hope that it's useful and just like there was no crying i mean there was nervousness there was tension but it was literally joyce and hopper saying look our children are in danger we know that they know how to handle themselves so we're going to do what we can to chip in and then just hope they save the world mm-hmm. because they understand having done this three times previously they understand the world they live in now and that's i thought that was fascinating i thought that was great do you feel like there's so much to talk about that maybe one way to do this is let everyone pick like the, their favorite thing or like a moment they think we need to discuss because it the last sure. episode was there's two hours yes. yeah two and a half yeah, hours steph you want to oh. well the only thing i really wanted to like talk about <laughs> and i told mav before i agreed to be on the show was I wanted him to bring this up, but it just drove. I'm curious if I'm the only person that had this thought, but it just drove me crazy that Joyce didn't have a gun when they went back <laughs> into the thing. Like the whole time, that just bothered me the entire time. And if that, it would have been a perfect episode, in my opinion, if it weren't for that. But then she does get the shocker thing for a moment, but then she immediately discards it <laughs> yeah. and runs away. I don't know. I, I, that just bothered me. And then I tried to look up to see if maybe Winona Ryder is like anti. <laughs> No, she's like, used them on the show. Okay, yeah. So yeah, it's like I like I was gonna say it's like she's used them on this show. Like she knows how to use a gun. Yeah. yeah. No, she just very much needed to be in she peril like, as an eighties woman in order. <laughs> yeah, she seems so freaking vulnerable because she didn't have a just have just carry a gun. <laughs> I actually kind of love that Nancy apparently has just become essentially a psychopath, but because she knows demons are real. When they when they're trapped yeah. in the upside down, there's a point where it's like, well, what can we do? How are we going to get all the way across the town to the police station where there's guns? And Nancy's like, I don't get across the town. There's guns in my house. I've got tons of guns, and it's just yeah. like. <laughs> And of course she does. Absolutely. Yeah. She's got tons of guns. Also, also, <laughs> no. We're talking about Nancy with guns. That moment in these final two episodes when Max and Nancy are like shot, sawing off like the shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> and Max is like, is this legal? And Nancy's like, no, I'm pretty sure it's a felony and just keeps going. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so uh, yeah, it was weird that I mean, Winona Ryder doesn't have a gun only to increase narrative tension, and it is mm-hmm. odd because they definitely they so def- just to make her seem more vulnerable. Well, yeah, they're, they're Russian soldiers with guns laying around dead all around. Yeah, them. like they easier available. Yeah, yeah. And she yeah, goes yeah. for the shocking prod. Right. Yeah, it's literally just. And now it turns out that I mean, she essentially does save the day by basically having learned from Bob's death, which was mm-hmm. it's subtle, but like they they made a big deal of it. She flashes back to Bob's death very briefly. And Bob mm. was killed by one of those hellhounds that was about to kill Hopper. So that's how she knew how to, you know, I lost one boyfriend to this. I'm not going to do it again. So I get that. It was understated. But yeah, it is weird that they had guns before they left. They had guns in a flamethrower. And as Andrew just pointed out, she could have picked one up off the ground at any moment. Yeah. No reason not to. So that was. So sorry, of- can you elaborate on the Bob thing? I, I forget. I forgot about that. Bob was so killed. She was married to Sam Washington. Well, she was, they weren't married. Yeah, they, they were dating, dating and, Wise, right. and they were getting out of the lab in Hawkins, and yeah. he, for no good reason, was yeah. killed by one of those dogs. Yeah, I mean, he was killed so they could do Jurassic Park, but also get rid of. They, like, there's no reason that she and Bob would ever break up. But like, the main yeah, they need to be show is yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but, yeah so, like he, he, he's not sacrificing. He's not saving them. He's just on his way to the door and he smiles at her and then he gets taken out. And it's yeah. egregious. Yeah, but Matt, what are you saying that she learned from Bob? It was basically they couldn't, they learned they can't just shoot those dogs. Like, they, you know, having seen it kill before, she figured out a way to actually, you know, take it out and save the boyfriend and this time. So gun, guns are a little effective against them. There's, there's an interesting bit of continuity when you remember in this episode that Joyce also like forgets the gun she was given earlier. And also yeah. the show just conveniently forgets that Hopper has a broken leg. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. That's, that's, that's true. Seems yeah. awfully good at this point. Maybe it was just his place. I literally, I literally yeah. said, I said that to Steph as we were watching. I was like, wow, he got over that broken leg real quick. <laughs> 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 I, was like, I think but, maybe, you know, it is very, very cold outside so you know maybe it froze the bones yes. froze back into place that's during it. the, yep. during the russian it. winter yeah. and <laughs> while we're talking about guns and, and things that bothered us the kids take the van to the gun store to buy weapons to go into the underground get the upside down they bought like thousands of dollars worth of equipment in there i'm not quite mm-hmm. sure where they got the money money is no object for them. there's no is money it? troubles it well yes yeah, c's family is rich okay okay. Uh, okay so that is like a known so, point okay so, but okay, also, so like, maybe guy, dad's credit card or something okay all right Ar- argyle must have the company card to keep fueling up that van yeah being yeah. right like it's four stops minimum from <laughs> southern california to salt lake city utah yeah. and then back to nevada like that's a lot of phillips and i know yeah. gas was cheaper in the 80s you're talking about four stops minimum in in your car not in a cargo van which is right true yeah cargo van yeah. versus minivan versus but like yeah, yeah it's also like also it's a lot of like, gas guys yeah also it seemed like they were short on money with the payphone when jonathan was like desperately trying to get them a flight so but it doesn't matter yeah right i mean they're, 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 yeah they tapped into and they're just getting help our guys sold weed on the side while they were <laughs> at the stops yeah. i think Susie just got them an unlimited credit card with you know which i liked seeing Susie again i mean it is weird that they had to find something for her to do because they clearly want her to be a part of the gang but mm-hmm. i was wondering if they were going to kidnap her and take her with them when they left to go 
boat, you know, to, to continue I, on I their way ex- to Hawkins. I have mm-hmm. Susie's older sister to be in the van when mm-hmm. they were driving back to Nevada. But well, so so can I bring up something since you yes, pointed please. out like they they got Susie into the show and had her do the hacking and everything, and I think that's a very strong representation of something which I don't think it's a strength necessarily of the show. But basically, if we were to say okay, season one main characters it's the kids right you've Mm. got the four boys and 11 like it's those kids like those are the main characters of the show and basically by nancy and nancy and and jonathan Jonathan. and to a lesser extent steve steve becomes much much lesser extent steve Steve was supposed to die in the first season so oh oh, yeah yeah the duffer brothers just like the actor they decided they changed the script and didn't kill him because they liked the actor oh wow and they didn't give him like a heroic death in season one yeah Um, but like well so my understanding is that the scene where he saves them with his, you know, his signature weapon of the bat with the with the nails, you know, like him doing him doing all that. That was going to originally be the boy's father at combat. But they because, you know, uh, Will and Jonathan's father is gone and like they were going to do that. But then the Duffers were like, no, we like this kid. So let's have him do it. But he was going to die off like around the time when Barb died off. He was just going to be oh, wow. killed. And they're just like, but they literally just liked him and it's like this kid something special <laughs> i just wanted to work with him more so back to like the point i was making is like main characters from season one basically can't do anything anymore yes. right yes. like we rely so heavily on murray we rely on argyle we rely on Susie. like mike is useless yeah his whole I function mean, this season is ultimately to say i love you love you that's dumb and, and, and I, then i was thinking the same thing while watching this like the ones who are off in the van are the characters like oh we don't know what to do with them Will has not a personality so, yeah. for four seasons they're so inconsequential yeah they don't yeah, appear sure in episode seven they, they are don't entertaining, exist though. they're like not them. in episode seven the last yeah, episode then, of yes. the first half the first volume yeah. they don't appear that's yeah. how little they matter they matter yeah. For personal reasons, though, yeah. I think we should just love Argyle. Don't like, get me wrong. I- but like Argyle solves the problem by getting them into the surfer boy pizza and getting them the salt and everything like he solves their problem because the main characters can't solve their own problems. Right. Mm-hmm. They rely so much on these other characters that have been introduced in the last three seasons. Right. Robin has more lines, I think, than Will in this yeah. entire se- season. Yeah. And I'm like, Will should matter. Will should be significant. Will should be providing input about the upside down and the villain and all this sort of mm-hmm. stuff. And they just don't use him. And like Lucas is solid for about half of the season, but he's not really there for the first half of the season. His little sister is more consequential, mm-hmm. you know? And so like D- they D- keep Dustin introducing new characters. Yeah, Dustin Dustin's the one holdout. Yep. Dustin's yep. the one. And yeah. everybody else, like the people who matter more were not main characters in the first season. Yeah. And they keep having to go to these other characters to solve their problems because they can't mm-hmm. solve things themselves. I'd watch a season of Steve and Robin working a different summer job every year. Everybody, <laughs> yeah. every yeah. single person would yeah. watch yeah. that show yeah. from your yeah. lips to the Duffer Brothers. Yeah. Years. That's the spinoff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but I guess not, to... Nothing magic, no monsters, just the two of yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. But to, to Will's credit, yeah. though, I mean, he was dealing with a big, like, you know, <laughs> emotional issue eh, okay yeah. So, yeah. yeah mine because this ties into so okay this goes to what steph you asked me earlier about like, the 80s problems versus like the 2020s problems the character of will is problematic 
And I know I get what they're trying to do. I really do. And I understand why he's an important character. This is a flaw of the way in which we try to do representation when we're doing modern media, right? Will is clearly queer of some mm-hmm. kind. And I've seen people arguing that he's asexual. I think he's just supposed to be gay. I think the problem there, with it there is... There are it- script notes that say he's like mm-hmm. looking at Mike at the snowball instead of like looking at the girl he's dancing with. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And there's, like, it seems to be indicating that yes, and, he's dealing and, with feelings for Mike. Yes. Right. And which is great, except that the show wants to write it and deal with it as though it were a 2022 gay 14, 15 year old boy instead of a 1986 gay 14, 15 year old really? boy. Yes. Huh. Because so Will is Will is basically heartbroken because the love of his life is choosing his, you know, surrogate sister instead of him, which I get. But I think where this is done better is with Robin's relationships. Robin doesn't come out of the closet, not because she feels bad about being gay. She was very clear about that when she came out to Steve. Mm -hmm. She came out to because she trusts. See, she trusts Steve and Steve Mm -hmm. knows that she's a lesbian. Dustin, who is also one of her best friends, does not appear to know because Dustin's Mm -hmm. like, why don't you just date Robin? and you guys will be perfect together and Steve's like for reasons so clearly good friends with Dustin as you know by the time we get to season four like they've clearly hung out and she hasn't chosen her she's trying to come become friends with Nancy she has chosen not to tell Nancy this is a secret because it's 1986 and being right. gay could ruin her fucking life right. like so, right. yeah. so she she's not going, yeah which she is not going yeah. to tell you know, she cannot she tells Steve I can't just go like a girl like you can that's not you know it's an mm-hmm. unfair world the show wants Will's arc to be that it's so sad that Mike doesn't notice him and it's so sad like Will is dealing with things in a world where where he is being written as though he lives in a world where being homosexual is far more accepting at least it feels like to me than it possibly could be for his world like I almost wanted when he doesn't come out when his brother hugs him when Jonathan's like you know we don't Mm -hmm. talk I'm still here for you and you know I love that scene it was the first time I cared about it was the first time I cared about Will all season of the season too right and Mm -hmm. I was like god thank you Jonathan's not just high Will's not just pining away this is an emotional moment between two brothers Brothers, who's it's my brother saying okay i you might not be willing to come out yet that's your choice but i want you to know that i know and i'm here when you Wait, want to talk I'm about confused it. are you saying he's not forth he's too forthcoming about his no i'm saying the portrayal doesn't make sense in the world that, like i'm saying will's reactions will's storyline will's characterization seems weird for a 1980s narrative now i get that it's not really a narrative 80s narrative it's a nostalgic you mean just back. that he's gay at all no what? that he's the way he reacts the way he's written feels disingenuous like he he seems to have an expectation that like if mike just notices me you know it's gonna we're gonna be it together and he has that expectation i think he's just sad because he knows it cannot yeah that's my impression maybe i I, I I just don't like it maybe it's not it's working for me because maybe that's what i that's what i want to and it doesn't feel like that to me part of me is just the actor doesn't sell it for me yeah. That's yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just uh, he seems more closeted and more like reluctant to be, you know, to say who, that he's gay than what's her, Robin. Robin, yeah. Robin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know and, and he's younger and I've also seen people like, "Well, why do we need to worry about his sexuality? Why can't he just be a kid?" And I'm like, "We need to worry about 
about his sexuality and he can't just be a kid because he's responsible for saving the world. He's not just a kid. He's a kid who is, you know, one of the eight beings that we depend on to keep our universe safe <laughs> at this point. And that, you know, like chi- childhood died three seasons ago. Like, I mean, like, also there's the hypocrisy yeah. of saying, I mean, like this is true, like any time, like we have this conversation. There's the hypocrisy of saying, why do we have to sexualize children when like no one says anything about the heterosexual relationships on the show? It's only like once there's a even potentially like queer character, although I feel the hints are like thrown down since season one. Someone on the internet mm-hmm. pointed out actually that Joyce has this line where she's telling Hopper when Will goes missing that like kids are like making fun of him and like that that making fun of him is like queer coded and that like also mm-hmm. like happens throughout the first season. Like and the reason why this like commenter pointed this out is like saying Joyce is implying that it could have been a hate crime, mm-hmm. which yeah. I hadn't realized before. So like Well, she wouldn't um, call it that though. She, Joyce is yeah. she but yeah. Joyce yeah, Joyce clearly knows that her son is different if she doesn't know he's gay she at least knows that he's not following a standard 1986 development path she's got to but she's not stupid and she has another son who you know her other son is a weirdo who never had a lot of friends you know like jonathan even before stranger things happens jonathan's an outsider back in hawkins pre-show so like she's got a little bit of you know she she can see that there's differences between her two children but she i think she clearly knows so, so for me, it's just been, I just don't buy the way Will is written just in general. And I'm, a big part of that, I think, is that Will is the both the most important and the least important of the original four boys. But he's not a character in season one. He's an yeah. inciting incident. Yeah. He's barely in it. Like he's, you know, the season one story is Will goes missing and his place in the party is taken by Eleven, which is why he's frequently jealous of her. Yeah, he's got replace, like, re- replacement sense like issues yeah, and he's right i mean he that, that is a, that comes up in season two where he basically says his life story happened with him not being there like i get it but as the seasons have gone on he is entirely inconsequential to this season. like even more so than mike he like he like, like his storyline is that he comes to the internal strength to tell mike to tell 11 that he loves her like he's essentially a woman in a refrigerator like for all intents and purposes he only exists to further the stories of other people. And I don't know that that's a flaw of the show because he is the inciting incident, but it is a weirdness because he's also our most prominent queer character. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because he was essentially a story engine that first season, I feel like right. we just struggle to find a personality for him for the next three. I'm a big Twin Peaks fan, and Will's story is essentially he is Laura Palmer. The only difference between him and Laura Palmer is that Will lives. And then, so we've had to find something to do with him in successive seasons. Okay, but to be fair to both Jonathan and Will, to some degree, I mean, they're not in the show like as much as some other characters, obviously, the season as we've already talked about, but they're actually getting to find out who they are outside of Hawkins. Like, Um, until Will's back in Hawkins at the very end, he gets to be just Will. Like, he gets mm -hmm. to, like, think more about his feelings and what he wants and gets to focus on his art and what have you. And Jonathan gets to be a a teenager. Yeah, like, yeah, but, like, honestly, the more I think about it, the more that, like, makes sense. They've gone through some terrible things. This show's about trauma, right? And, like, Jonathan in this final volume is like, I've been distant. That's not about you. It's about me and my own issues. And I think this is how he's dealing. Josh, you, you look like you want to say something. 
No, I just generally agree with your point about like, yeah, they haven't really done a lot with these characters in the fourth season in the, the Nevada party, but at least they, they've had a couple of nice moments. I do agree with Mav's original yeah. point that like Robin seems to live in a world where her romantic choices have consequences and Will yeah. doesn't. No, Will's not going to act on his choices. Yeah. And that's like, yeah. like, 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 yeah. yeah. I, and I know there's been a lot of like this guy. I'm not saying like they've nailed mm-hmm. the characterization of Will, but I think I just kind of disagree yeah. with Mav yeah. about what that characterization yeah. is. And I feel like Will is more insulated because he's constantly around his friends. So the risk is less if he does reveal anything, but he's still very, very careful. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just to be fair, it also might just be that I I like the actor behind Robin more than I like the actor behind Will. And I mean, it, it's unfair, but I just I feel like Maya Hawk is just nailing it. I think she's been really good. And Noah Schnapp, you know, OK, like I just feel they're fine. Yeah, but I just I mean, I, I, I Maya had one of my my favorite moments. Maya slash Robin had one of my favorite moments of the season when she did her speech about sexism that got yeah. them into the yeah you know, like she. So yeah. I just think as an actress, she's nailing that part. So that might be it too, and it might just be that like she's sold the scene for me. You know, her coming out scene for me better than Will has, and Will hasn't actually come out to be fair too. So like yeah. his, you know, like he, he is dealing with the struggle that to be fair is not my struggle. Right, I'm not worried about coming out so I and I have not and I certainly wasn't in 1986 so it might be him doing fine but it, it just hasn't that's part that hasn't worked for me yeah. so that's all. Yeah, another reason so, I don't have a problem with Will is I grew up in the 80s and my best friend was gay and not only was he gay but he was like out gay and very confident even though people just like shredded him in school and it was just terrible his experiences but he was strong enough to handle it so so Josh what in season for have we not talked about that you want to talk about like what was the favorite part or like a standout moment for you or a standout character yeah i think we've watched the first half of season four twice now we definitely have kind of skipped over the russia parts <laughs> I mean, like, fine. I, I don't on, on my rewatch i skipped over my can 11 stuff in the first two episodes yeah, yeah. i was like i don't need to see this valley girl get hit in the face with a skate again <laughs> I skipped over it because I just couldn't handle watching the bullying again. But anyway, I found Argyle to be kind of a bizarre character, but I, I have enjoyed him more as the season has gone on, and he's kind of my favorite of the kind of the non Hawkins. I'm sorry, I thought you were going to say my new characters. And I was like, I'm sorry. What about Eddie? No, I just Eddie. enjoyed the ridiculous yeah, pizza. We're saving talk awesome. about Eddie. We're saving yeah. talk about Eddie, right? Yeah, yeah. Eddie. Eddie's also my favorite. So, so do you want to talk about Eddie? What about Eddie? Did you like what scene? stole the show for you oh, I just kind of like how he, for me I just like how it brings in like another side of like 80s pop culture with like the metal and, and there's that great bit in like the last episode or so where they're mm-hmm. asking him to like find some popular music some blondie some Madonna something and they're thinking of playing Maiden or something it's like this is this is good music um, and it's just kind of a fun you know yeah. another side of the 80s that we haven't seen yet and the the actor who plays Eddie just sells everything super hard like oh yeah he's Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a British actor. I'm surprised. I have been in my panic about Steve. I've said, I think I'd be okay if Eddie died. And I said that because Mm -hmm. I felt that they were telegraphing his death from like the first couple of episodes. And it's Stranger Things, and they always I mean, he literally gives a Danny Glover. I'm getting too old for this shit speech in like his first appearance. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm gonna graduate this year. 
Guys, I'm not okay. Aww. And he never graduated. That's so yeah. sad. Um, is this year is his year. It's not. <laughs> I, but him playing the guitar on top uh, of the yeah. thing oh, that was yeah. like my Eddie, favorite. That was an awesome scene. Eddie <laughs> was so great. And it like the fact that Eddie died in the way that he did, which like it does have a character arc for mm -hmm. him from like running away to, okay, mm -hmm. now I'm protecting now I'm being brave, but it makes me feel like they, and I, this is probably legitimately what happens. It's like not a slight against them. It's just like, yeah, this is how it goes. They wrote the season. They wrote the character. They cast the character. They filmed it all. And they did not, realize how important eddie was going to be to a lot yeah. of people and how good he really was yeah. yeah like by it was the i think like his second scene when he's out in the woods with chrissy and he mm -hmm. talks about playing the guitar in the talent show and everything because i wasn't sure i liked him from his first scene but that mm -hmm. second no. scene yeah. where he talks to where he yeah. talks to chrissy and he makes her relax and smile and mm -hmm. he's charming i was like I think this guy's really great, actually. I think I really like this guy. And then by yeah. the end of the first episode where he's freaking out as she dies, I was like, this guy's amazing. Mm -hmm. And he starts giving the speeches later on. And he's got the like the big dark brown eyes. And he just is like, OK, I'm going to recount to you what happened as I saw her die. And I got really scared. And so I ran away and like he's just crushed all of that. And then I think they just couldn't know that's like, oh, people are going to really attach to him and people would be really excited to see him in the next season as part of the crew. And so they gave sure. him a death that didn't fit with how good all of his performance had been up to that point. I gotta I, say, by the way, to your point mm -hmm. about they didn't they like wrote things and then just didn't know like how actors would appear on screen. They have like the Duffer brothers have like said they regret killing Chrissy. So especially that early mm -hmm. on because mm -hmm. She like that they cast the actress, they filmed her death first, and then they did that scene in the woods and they saw so the much chemistry yes. between the two characters and they were like, Oops. They I think have, that have does chemistry. Mm -hmm. I think that does make the season more brutal that like Christy and Eddie were so likable from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then the stakes of like, how on earth are they going to prove Eddie innocent? Which is another reason it, I thought he was gonna die. And it, then how it, you know, they killed such a likable, nice character at the beginning of the show. Like, you know, no one's upset Jason's dead. Like, you know? I like, so I anticipated that they would clear Eddie's name and they would pin it on Jason because Jason's a monster. Mm -hmm. I don't understand how the police didn't think that Jason wasn't a suspect. Didn't you say this, Josh? Like he, was, oh, yeah. he was present at two out of three of the murders. It's plus, his girlfriend. Plus he's leading the like the vigilantes you know, against like But Eddie. he's a jock and he's pretty. And but he's, didn't he have an alibi for Chrissy when Chrissy was killed? Yeah, well his other friends. Yeah, yeah, he was drinking with his jock friends. Yeah. So I think that's of. why they rolled him out. Yeah. yeah. After the second murder, you might want to relook at that alibi, especially when they're all your friends saying that you've seen been seen well, together. I'm just saying I've seen I've read a few yeah. Agatha Chrissy books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that was one of the things that did work for me because it that that fit into the eighties of it, right? The entire yeah, totally. of the yeah. show yeah. is mm -hmm. that the the jocks, the pretty white jocks, yeah. are just invincible, right? Mm. Is the plot to Goonies and yeah. Stand by Me Ugh. and one of my favorites, The Lost Boys, right? Mm. Like like being in that crew, just oh. the town. Now they're not really in the right, but the town believes that they are because yeah. you know. Yeah. Can um, I say that the one of the scariest scenes for me in Volume Two was when the random jock started chasing Erica and pinning her oh, to yeah. the ground? I was terrified for her. Yeah, and, I mean, was well done. and we never saw what happened to him after she kicked him and ran away. I, back to Eddie, real quick. I did want to throw out, especially because you had talked about the chemistry between him and Chrissy. One of the mm -hmm. great Eddie moments is as he's about to play the guitar and he takes the pick off of his necklace. He dedicates the song to Chrissy, Aww. which is mm -hmm. a very small moment, but he says, this is for Chrissy. And then he starts 
rocking. Does anyone know what song he was playing? I was wondering about this. Uh, I think it's Master of Puppets. Master yeah, of Puppets. Metallica, Metallica song. Metallica. Yeah. I, think, yeah. I thought it was Metallica. Just yeah. as a side, I just doing a little bit of Googling while we were talking. The actress who plays Chrissy is Grace Van Deen, who is a pe- like I, I had no idea. Grace Van Deen is the daughter of Casper Van Deen. Casper Van Deen, if you don't know the name, is Johnny Rico from uh, Starship Troopers. That's great. Oh, I just like to yeah. see the kids and people working. And, 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 I, and it's just because I ran into a lot of people this season who didn't pick up on it last season. I guess. Um, I, lots of friends of mine were like, oh my God, I didn't know that Maya Hawk was Uma Thurman's daughter. And I was like, really? And I said, yeah, she's the daughter of Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawk. And people were like, she is? And it's like, literally, if you put a picture of Maya Hawk, Uma Thurman, and Ethan Hawk up on you can screen, see it. it looks like the old bit that Conan O'Brien used to do when he'd make fake children out of two yeah, right. celebrity couple. Like, she literally looks exactly like both of her parents. It's like, yeah. somehow she looks like if you literally, like, she looks like if I were to take the DNA of Uma Thurman and the DNA of yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and take exactly fifty percent from each mm-hmm. parent, like like <laughs> it's like wow, this is no the perfect representation, yeah, of, of these two people. And she's great because I actually like both of those actors. I like Uma and Ethan a lot, and I think Maya has certainly inherited some of her parent best acting ability. I think oh, she was great yeah. this season as well. As yeah, to go it back to Eddie, too. I really feel like Eddie also like to emphasize like he didn't just have great chemistry with Chrissy but like to get back to the point that like he like became like a it felt like a core part of the group like he had such good chemistry with Dustin like he really like Mm -hmm. fought super Mm -hmm. hard to Steve him at the end he had a great chemistry with Steve like their moments Mm -hmm. in the last Mm -hmm. couple of episodes of the season were some of my favorites between the two actors of the season like Mm -hmm. yeah like just the maybe they can find a way to bring him back to life (laughs) he's joked about it in an interview said I'm gonna be really pissed at the end next season yeah come on <laughs> John, if they can yeah get John Snow back finding ways to bring Billy back uh, but yeah I was gonna say to be fair oh, Billy's man. been yeah Billy I in a lot of this more season. Billy in this show I'm done. No. I, he sounds I, like an I, asshole even the actor no, <laughs> he's fine I don't care just has me. that mean look well I get it so I and this can segue I guess into like my big thing for the show to me the standout for this show is Sadie Sink as Max I thought this season quite frankly Sadie Sink deserves an Emmy I thought she did amazing yes. work she did yeah, amazing yeah. Work, at, not just good work for Billy at the cemetery. Yeah. That's seen a lot. Yes. Hand, no, that's, hand to the Emmy now and get it no, over yes. with. Yeah. yeah, I think Billy doesn't deserve the speeches that she delivered for him. Mm-hmm. He does not deserve any of right. that. Yeah, but she's great. Yes, no, but I actually liked those speeches because I think all those scenes in season two where I was like, eh, these like stupid scenes where like Billy's just kind of being like weird with the Max, but like they have this relationship where they like both like hate each other and also at times seem a little bit like they they you know they want to have some form of relationship together i think that those are recontextualized in an interesting way and in season three there i'm not saying i'm not a billy stan i'm not saying oh he's fine he shouldn't have died he you know wasn't he was terrible he was a terrible person but the fact that they made him complex and showed the cycles of abuse that like made him who he was and also Mm -hmm. like lines up with what max was saying because you know i think like she's been caught up in an abusive home life her like entire Mm -hmm. uh, good majority of her life anyway but like the thing about abusive relationships that's 
complicated sometimes is like people want love and like to like start over again and fix things. And also I appreciate like, especially in these final two episodes, how what she said to Billy got recontextualized with her admitting to Henry slash one slash Vecna that her darkest thought, like his darkest thoughts that she, he projected to her in episode four were true because Billy was Mm -hmm. terrible. Mm -hmm. Like that all really worked for me. Those two scenes where she's at the cemetery, but then the last episode where she's talking to Vecna again, Mm -hmm. once again, it's that mirroring thing we talked about where, you know, she's on her knees she's saying these things and they're both true mm-hmm. but you know the, the mm-hmm. second one just reveals so much more of her personal angst and feelings so she sold it for me because it becomes very clear she is not whitewashing who billy was she no. knows he was awful she knows he was abusive she knows he was a bad person but she is a 15-year-old girl who has PTSD from watching her brother, abusive asshole that he was, be disemboweled in front of her. Like, and she, you know, he was By horrible, <laughs> but he was her brother who she loved, who, you know, it was like, literally, he's an awful man, but he's the only ally I have in this off family, and it's non-perfect. And then she had to watch a monster eat him save while, her. as yeah. he tried to save, as he tried to save her. So she's got PTSD. SD on top of the fact that, you know, sometimes teenagers just have depression, which is what's been sort of great about this season for me. What I think Chrissy sells, just to go back to it, is Chrissy sells the idea that, you know, just because you're the head cheerleader and you're pretty and you're dating the captain of the basketball team, you know, maybe you just have depression because life is hard, right? Like, that's fine. Like, Chrissy, apparently Vecna's preying on people who are, you know, suicidal or borderline suicidal, at least depressed. And Chrissy's depressed because sometimes teenage girls have depression problems and and what we like about her is, you know, like the scene that works for us is we're like, oh, wow, she had a moment with the stoner dude and he made her smile and you fall in love with Chrissy at that moment, right? Because mm-hmm. she is human. And I think Chrissy showing us that, you know, it's human and normal to have depression problems, to have anxiety problems, to even, you know, feel suicidal. Chrissy shows us that so that we can appreciate Max all the more because mm-hmm. Max has those feelings and Max lives in a world where she literally knows that monsters are real. And she's, you know, she she didn't ask me in this. And I think Max is in a weird, unique place because she is sort of treated like she's one of the original members of the group, but mm-hmm. she's not as opposed to like Eddie or Robin, even Robin, who Robin, she's new, right? Max is sort of treated like she was there all along, but she just sort of walked in and because she was tough, everybody just sort of expected her to be okay with everything. And she's not, and she's dealing with it and she's dealing with it as best she can as the loner girl. And, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. the strong loner girl has issue. Can we talk she about every second of it. Yeah, that one of the greatest things about Stranger Things is originally I thought like, oh, it's kind of a boys show and there's some female character, like 11, you know, like 11, like in season one really shines. She's As a magical like, girl. Joyce, of course, like, mm-hmm. you know, Joyce is portrayed as like a hysterical woman by the rest of the town. And she's obviously totally right. But I think what season two does so well is introduce and establish Max really quickly. Mm-hmm. And then season three really like leans in to the female friendship between Eleven and Max. Yes. And that was like those moments when they do running up that hill in episode four made me when they like flash back to Max and Eleven hanging out and in, in the final episode when Eleven shows up for Max and that I, I honestly don't know who's more devastated by Max's final fate Eleven or Lucas because of mm-hmm. how strong that friendship is and like as a side me. note the answer is me I'm devastated yeah. I'm the most devastated 
But um, like, oh, I don't know. Devastated. Like, I did not. I thought Max was safe because of episode four. Yeah, I thought I did like too. her. Like, I and I didn't expect that. I just, I. But yeah, but I, I also side note, like the new pairing of Robin and Nancy was also. I, I love how as the show goes on, letting like the female characters play against each other and like de- de- developing like strong friendship bonds across different subgroups. Like that. That's what makes the show for me. Like Steve and Robin are great. Nancy and Robin are great. Max and Eleven. Steve and Dustin and Eddie really just mm-hmm. carried some emotional arcs in this show and as I said like kind of expect it to be sort of a boys club show that I would enjoy anyway because I like genre fiction but it's it you know they have brought in you know women behind the scenes to work and the like they've given more space to characters like Max to develop this season and I mm-hmm. think part of the reason some of these episodes are like a billion hours long is because they just like have moments where they let the characters breathe and like and I wouldn't trade those moments when... yeah, for, for me like I there was an explicit point in the final <laughs> show where I I thought, oh, this is about female empowerment. This show is like all about the women being strong. And that like when at the end, when Eleven was trying to save Max. The magic heart touch thing, whatever she was doing. You're talking about at the No, when they were in the in the upside down. Oh, okay, when they're in the yeah. dreamscape. Yeah. yeah. Well, when, when she was fighting, that whole big scene when she was fighting oh, Max, that's when, yeah, it occurred. Like, that's the first time in the entire series that I thought that this is really about. Really? Yeah. See, yeah. Okay, because for me, and I, I think this is what Hannah's talking about, to, for me, where the show really became about that, one of the things is, is last season, the Hannah, you started talking about this and then moved on. The sleepover that Max and Eleven have when they first really become friends. When I mean, part of it is Max being a little manipulative, which is I, which I kind of love because because Max basically talks Eleven into dumping Mike, which is kind of fine because like Mike was kind of being an asshole. And also, you know, if they were thirteen, you know, it's a it's like how serious is your relationship? They were, you know, like there there should be bumps and everything. But when she's like, no, and then you dump his ass because that's you know because boys suck and like. And it's just them being really goofy and they do this thing where Max gives her a makeover into what I loved about the makeover that Max gives Elle in the third season is that she has Elle dressing in clothes that are not the kinds of clothes that Max wears. Yeah. Elle finds a Elle finds her own, I mean her own style in that she's copying Cindy Loppers, but you know, she <laughs> finds her <laughs> like she oh, finds well, yeah, she's an 80s girl. So yeah, she there's, finds there's that line right like yeah. not mike not hopper you like yes he's like you yes and she was in a very max way trying to be the first person who she's at that point mike is very worried about you know oh my god how do i have a girlfriend hopper is very worried about you know how do i raise a teenage girl and max wants to be her friend but max very differently is trying to well what do you want l like how do we and l can barely speak in that season in fact i thought she was better this season in season three i thought they regressed her language skills a little too much to where you know she had been you know she's not a simpleton she's just you know a little behind on education i thought she was too repressed whereas this season traumatized yeah but it it didn't feel it didn't feel like trauma to me it felt like they were trying to make her in in hindsight of season four like to deal with that like little plot hole of like young 11 in the memories like people have complained about being articulate but it's clearly like trauma anyway yeah, 
I, well, I think it works better now. Yeah. That's what I was getting at. I think I think Millie Bobby Brown has grown as an actress, and I think she sells it better now than she did last season. Which was it's weird because we'll talk about this, I guess, a little bit. There's so much time passing between the seasons in real life to as they've gone on and done other projects and just grown as actors. That like I think that Millie Bobby Brown the person is a much better actress in season four than Millie Bobby Brown the person was in season three. Mm-hmm. What's the gap in years between season three and season four? In real time? Yeah. Like three, uh, or three years. Three, three. three and a half. Yeah. Three and a half. It's a long time. Yeah. yeah. And it's weird because in, in storyline time, like two years has passed for them. But it's uh, eight months since season three. Yeah. Not yeah. Two. No. Oh, no. I mean, for, I mean, I mean, since the beginning of the show. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, it's like three, three years, yeah. three, three years since the beginning of the show. Yeah. And and yes, season it, three came out. In, sophomores I've ever seen. Yeah. Season three <laughs> came out in 2019. Season four came out in 2022 and some of them like natalie dyer who plays nancy she looks like a tv teenager go back to our 20 something teen episode Mm -hmm. like she doesn't look like a real teenager but she looks like a tv teenager and ben wolfhard also you could be a tv teenager will is a little on the big side he's like dude you know you need to play some sports but okay you know like you you know they've done the same with lucas charlie heaton looks like he's 40 years old and he's not he's like 28 i was talking about this with steph i I was watching and I was just like, if you did a, a rom-com where Winona Ryder was cast with Charlie Heaton as her love interest instead of her son, I'd be like, ah, well, he looks, a little, he looks a little too young for her, a little bit, but I applaud the casting director for seeing past age and, and putting these two together. To see them, like when she gives them that hug at the end and it's like, oh, I missed you so much, boys. And I'm like, boys, those are grown men. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 it, and it really, there's some of them who sell it better than others. Sadie Sink, in particular, and this is not anything she's done, she has a young look about her. I looked it up. She's like 20, and she, like, I look at her with the makeup they've given her and the clothes that they've given her, and I was like, yeah, she could be 15. Sure. Yeah. You know, and Millie Bobby Brown's 18. <laughs> nah, okay. You know, you could be, you could, they look fine, but some of them, like, will just, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time with suspension of disbelief. You don't look I, in high school anymore. I had a really hard time in the first episode when Jason was introduced at the pep rally. I was like, oh, why is this tiny 26 year old running for mayor at the pep rally? Because <laughs> he, he genuinely looks like this like adult white man is giving a speech like he's running for mayor. Uh, can I uh, compliment the writing and acting of Jason? Because he's like the worst ever. But oh, like yeah. part of the reason why I had such a visceral reaction to Jason was like, oh my gosh, I grew up with you all of you like super authentic super authentic yeah like like what like i'm pretty sure he probably like had dreams of being a youth pastor when he grew up like got those vibes yeah 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 i just i can't i just can't Um, i just i won't Um, I (laughs) i wanted to jump back to something that I think builds from something that Hannah was saying a little while ago and to what Mav was saying about like the strength of splitting the group up. Mm -hmm. I think the best strength is to mix and match the groups a little bit more Mm -hmm. than they did this time. Right. That's how you get Steve and Dustin. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I want them to have everyone together and then split everyone up like two or three times throughout the season so that you can explore different dynamics. And then you Mm -hmm. can have like like Hopper and Steve don't have a relationship. Please God, It'd be kind of good. Yeah, you're right. They they, they don't know each other at all. That's I mean, mean, I'm I'm sure they've met, but like they don't really know each other. And then so like with this season, you really lose something because like, oh, like 50 percent of the cast never met 
Eddie, period. Right. Yes. Like Eleven mm-hmm. doesn't know who Eddie is. Can we talk about end of the two and a half hour extravaganza episode and the fact that it feels like honestly Netflix should have just said, all right, take an episode 10 and let your epilogue breathe. And like, I am sure that Steve and Robin and Nancy came across Dustin in the upside down grieving and they also grieved over Eddie's death. Like, did they and get like, his body back? Or like, we don't know. They I don't think so. I, yeah. I think they, they just like, left it. Like, 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 they just get, like, like, we don't know. They just like, skip, like, like, 11 did yeah. her magic and they just like sort of skipped two days yeah. ahead. And I think a lot later, of the, but, mm-hmm. yeah, I think a lot of the emotion was blossomed. I know that people are upset about that. And I assume that those things happened because I know that like Steve and Nancy and Robin are very caring, kind people and they feel things. And like when Dustin's upset, Steve is upset. But mm-hmm. you don't, see that you know like they they like yeah. are just you know they're trying to like wrap up all these storylines that are left in like 20-30 minutes yeah. yeah I found the way that it ends with Eleven kind of trying to help Max and then cutting to black and skipping two days later to be really abrupt and I kept doing these like yeah. cuts to black throughout the last couple of episodes like I I was making the joke to Hannah like I really thought they were going for a full on Matrix Reloaded thing where like she's gonna Eleven's gonna reach into Max's body and like jumpstart her heart oh, yeah. <laughs> and then it kind of it's kind of not clear what's happening and then it just cuts to black and it's like two days later yeah, we did talk about this last night. It felt like that one should have been like a whole other episode where they kind of escape and figure out, you know, what's now happening in Hawkins. Netflix, it is okay for you to just let us watch these characters interact and like feel their emotions. And then I think it could have been nice to just have a wrap up episode and a grieving episode and a reuniting episode with the cliffhanger. It's not like you don't have a big cliffhanger. It's not like we won't keep watching. I think that this is proven that it doesn't matter how long these episodes are. We're going to be there. We're going to be there that night because we are those people, everyone on this episode. Well, and and that's my question. So is it just us or is it because I I don't think it is. I mean, I've talked about this a month, right? Like my favorite and I consider this this a superhero show. And I mean, Steve straight up says, you know, or actually several people like we have a friend who is a superhero. Like Mm -hmm. Eleven says, Mm -hmm. I'm going off to become a superhero again. So this is a superhero show. And as we talk about a lot, my favorite thing about superhero shows are when they have episodes where people aren't superhero right? Like when the defenders sit down and just have Chinese food for dinner, that's what that's a show for me. That's what I want, right? So I would love to see the Danimwa episode where people just deal with the ramifications and the consequences of this war we just went through. Because I really do want to see again, Max is easily my favorite character on the show. It's not even close. I mean, I like a lot of the show, but I thought she was, you know, and as much as I want to see Stady Sink just acting her heart off and winning Emmys, I would love to see the episode where everyone's got to really deal with the trauma of, oh my God, what if she dies? What, you know, what has she done here? And, you know, instead we got to see, you know, Lucas cry and Eleven give give him a hug and then we're going to move on we got to start setting up this like, this food drive, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Steve is going to lose his mind over Max being hurt. Like, he's the one in the graveyard who's like, nope, we're like done. He, he was I, the first one seeing that she was yeah, like, yeah, like changing in the graveyard. And also, like, whenever he's telling Nancy his, like, dream of having a big family, which, by the way, I think speaks to the fact that Steve feels alone a lot of the time in the world and, like, he's made it, like, kind mm-hmm. of clear and the show has through the absence of his family. Yeah, he's, got, he no, have, he's like, got no backstory. He's just because because that thing where he was supposed to die, he's the one character has, mm-hmm. who we know the least about. We never see his, his father, parents. We know his father's an asshole and we know his parents are away a lot, which is why he throws parties. First season. We never see yeah. them. He's just yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. I, and Hannah has a pet theory that he sits around and reads romance novels. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I think riddle me this. Is he no, like, like 
like I bet his mom has like a stack and she's like left them at home and he's been bored and like alone and sad. Yeah. Like he's Daniel Steele. Yes. Like <laughs> tell me another character on the show who's more likely to read romance novels than Steve Harrington, especially okay. after he gave that speech yep. to Robin yep. about never giving up hope. And the th- thing he finds hope in at the like end of the season is Vicky and Robin kind of having their moment. Like, tell He's me. so happy for them. Yes. <laughs> tell me Steve Harrington isn't a romance genre fan. I dare you, mm-hmm. Internet. You are welcome to take that and run with it, Internet. You are welcome. <laughs> but Steve, like, has a dream of a family. And isn't it interesting that he babysits on and off about six kids and he wants mm-hmm. a big family and he wants to take mm-hmm. them on trips. And he already, but he already has his family, you guys. Mm-hmm. He found a family. And then he has that wonderful speech, which is why I actually became convinced they weren't going to kill him off in the final episode about like how he's gotten some knocks on the head over a few years and he's learned and he's slowly crawling like I don't think Steve Harrington's story was done this season I would have been so upset if they killed him not just because he's my fave but because he really embodies hope and hope for change and he still has a lot of potential like dude's working he didn't like get into college his father punished him and made him like work at a scoops ahoy which by the way we're totally doing scoops true for halloween hope you would enjoy that josh um <laughs> um We'll get you some Farrah hairspray. Uh, we, you know, like he, he hasn't like really thought about who he wants to be beyond like longing for family and mm-hmm. community. And so he still doesn't know who he is. And I would just really love in this final season for Steve Harrington to like reach like some of his potential. Cause like, he's great. Like, I think like, I mean, so the, we know the, this oh, is the, you know, the, it's only going to be one more season. Only okay. one more season. Yeah. They're officially wrapping up. Yeah. And Certainly split into two again, but you know, yeah, <laughs> I'll say, I'll, yeah, I'll say that all the comments we got on our blog were if Steve Harrington dies, we riot variety. So, like, <laughs> I'm not the only one who loves him. And I also really, You're speaking not. of like, speaking, yeah, so, so yeah, no, I know. I really well, know. I, I, think, I think one thing that's interesting about Steve's character is I think uh, there has been real development, even without backstory, because he keeps saying he's babysitting. But what was very obvious to me this season is that he knows he's not. So here's the He wasn't babysitting last season either. Like, yeah, when, yeah. He, when Dustin comes back from camp and he's like, Henderson, I got the job, I got the job. And they do their lightsaber right. little handshake and They're Robin bros. is like, coming, you know. Yeah. And here's, what, here's what's interesting. The kids are sophomores now, right? So it's been two years. Steve talks about them like they're babies because he's being an older brother. Is like Steph and I are married and I tease you about stuff relentlessly about stuff that like she's slightly older than I am. So I'm like, oh, she's old. I'm also a, a little, hard time giver. I'm also, <laughs> I'm also very much taller than stuff is i'm way he's taller. six two by the way yeah, yeah, I, yeah i always say i'm six two i'm not i'm five eight but uh, but yeah so, so things like that steve is teasing dustin because he does that right but dustin and robin are his best friends dustin is his best friend and he talks about dustin like he's a baby but dustin is the same age as nancy was when steve was having sex with her right so he knows that dustin is grown now and it really kind of shows up this season when oh i don't remember exactly what he says but he makes a joke to the extent about you know talking about when justin didn't have tea and yeah, then yeah dustin, that was a great scene. Scene. Yeah, yeah and then dustin sorry. and dustin's like Ugh. and steve's like oh sorry was that too far dude and he's like too far all right and it was literally like a oh they're it's just good nature teasing like he does not consider himself better and the counterbalance to that was there was when they lose when that team gets 
split up. Hawkins team gets split up in the when they went when they got in the boat. And Dustin's like, well, we'll find them. It's not like they'd be stupid enough to go into the upside down by themselves. And then he's like, holy shit, these idiots were stupid enough to go into the upside down. And he's like, and he's just like, okay, now and there's no question. Dustin's like, all right, now I have to go save my idiot friends. And then Nancy and Steve and Robin, Eddie's like learning still, but Nancy, Steve, and Robin are like, okay, we'll just we're, we need to go here and just hang out till Dustin figures out a way to save us. Like that's the mentality they have. They see each other as equals and they can depend on each other. There's never mm-hmm. any question. Like it's not like there's ever a point where Nancy and Steve are like, what are we going to do? It's literally like we just need to get to the house. We need to get somewhere safe and we need to contact Dustin and he'll figure it out. Love and it. Because that's I, what he does. Yeah. Right. And I can just say that I love that I really am so thankful. Like not just because Steve turned into something I don't think they were expecting and we all love him, but because like the original conceit of the Steve character for this show was like a rapey jerk who like sexually assaults Nancy. And Mm -hmm. I'm just so glad that they removed pretty much almost in my memory, which, you know, there's like this, I rewatched the Goonies with John. Do you remember rewatching the Goonies with me like a couple months ago? And we watched it and you were like, Hannah, this is super rapey. It's really gross. And yeah. Yeah. And like, like, I mean like, look, you know, like so, so, so much of like, if you rewatch, so like so much is like seed. And I feel like stranger things, at least for the most part has really like resisted repeating that in particular. And I'm so glad because like, we talked a lot on this show in different episodes about how sexual assault permeates like so many narratives of like romance and genre fiction and becomes like a shortcut to develop characters, sometimes developing male characters at the expense of the female characters. And it's just nice to like see them reject like, you know, the that that sort of like line of storytelling and like think of like other things and you know the revisioning for Steve's character just has no bearing uh, whatsoever on that like old discarded plot line. Oh wait, so you're saying yeah, so Steve never did he actually he did, I don't remember him. So no, that they okay. wrote that into like a pilot that was okay. started. Okay, yeah, it's good like, that they didn't make him that character. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Yeah, like, 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 like I would have remembered that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Steve would have no like had no like, would not have like come back from that. I mean, the creepiest thing I think is Jonathan in season one taking pictures of Steve and Nancy without their consent. And Steve is furious about that. So he bullies Jonathan and he says really terrible. And also like, I believe uses a homophobic slur in the first season. But what's interesting is that he, it doesn't make it okay, but he instantly knows that he's gone too far when he gets into that fight with Jonathan and goes of his own volition to Jonathan's house to apologize and make it right because he doesn't want to be that person and like discards his terrible friends. And so well, it's interesting and, to see yeah. him go from Steve that. Is not, yeah. Well, see, yeah. Steve is, Steve, I think is very much because that character in the eighties didn't really exist. So he's very much a modern, a modern nice guy conceit that like seems out of place in this eighties nostalgia show, but in a good way for me, like he, he I, works entirely I, for me. I appreciate that he's gone from like realizing he's used horrible, like slurs and apologizing for that to in season three like I think maybe my favorite scene of the entire show is Steve and Robin in that bathroom where Steve mm-hmm. is confessing his feelings Robin's like well buddy you're not going to want you want to be friends with me after I tell the truth 
And Steve not only accepts it, but he talks about Tammy Thompson with the Muppet boys. And can I just thank you, Stranger Things writers, for bringing back Tammy Thompson for a moment of levity? <laughs> like, I, I, I love how it's shot. I love the emotion behind it. And I love that they, like, didn't go any sort of, you know, cliched, like, rude of a popular guy ends up with a not popular girl. But he's still thinking about who he wants to be and what people he wants to align himself with and, like, kind mm-hmm. of gets over the high school mentality in a way we weren't expecting. I The last thing that i want to say for steve is in season four they did a much better job at making him like significant and like an agent because in season three he really just gets beat up by russians and <laughs> like he doesn't do anything good or heroic or like positive like it's, he just gets bloodied by russians like all season and then this season they gave him some good hero moments maybe not enough for my taste but some good ones I'm just a little bummed that in the last episode, he and Robin and Nancy are basically vined to a wall, I think, for a, a, an hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the clock. Like, they yeah. really don't. That. It's like, guys, yeah. I really want them. Like, can you, you can have them hacking at vines for an hour, but you can't have them tied up for an hour yeah. while Eleven is like, sub- yeah. supporting Max. It's like, make them fighting through vines. Just don't have them tied more, up. That was uh, more I, that they were like choking to death, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, they would have died. Yes. <laughs> I just really want to say though to Andrew I appreciate that he had some hero moments but like I also appreciate how like the volume 2 trailer made him like doing that like flip into the uh, upside mm-hmm. down again look super yes. heroic and like a big like moment is, and then Robin awesome. and then Robin <laughs> immediately though is like what you want us to be impressed and I'm like yeah okay yeah, I'm easily I'm impressed like, I guess pretty good <laughs> I was the first one to do it and the only one to do it come on yeah. um, do but, we think that do we think that Steve and Nancy are gonna end up together I don't hate this the way everyone else does. I'm in favor of it because clearly, like, she and Jonathan are dysfunctional. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. And so I was like, I clearly can't support her and Jonathan. I'm right. okay if they, if like none of them end up together. But, like, this that. season definitely fueled the Steve and Nancy mm-hmm. maybe getting back together. I, it's funny because I've seen like a lot of people saying that like that Steve and Nancy have so much better chemistry together, which I think is hilarious because. Charlie Heaton and, and Natalie Dyer are a couple of really uh, <laughs> the, the they're just great that, that Jonathan, Jonathan yeah the Jonathan and Nancy are a couple yeah and, that doesn't and, negate that Jonathan and Nancy like I mean to yeah, be fair Jonathan's an that, idiot yeah, Jonathan I mean, is a worthless yeah. idiot that's the problem well, I don't think he's worthless I just think like I think his character is actually pretty interesting like, like he no, has I mean, right now, I, that, I don't, you know Nancy and Steve don't because I don't mean that negatively I mean his character right now is a he's going I mean he's said it himself look i'm a druggie because i'm going through stuff he's dealing with trauma jonathan is like he's lost he doesn't know you know i don't want to go to college because i'm afraid to leave my mom and my brother like he is he's in a different place than her and i mean his character is i am a loser right now and that's legitimate he's like you know a a worthless idiot but he's broken he is broken and he is not functioning yeah he could get better i might like it better i'm probably in the camp of you know it's okay for high school relationships not to work out yeah Um, yeah. i agree yeah it's you guys on andrew's show on protagonists you you guys talked about this about this side of solitary it's a very good uh, script that scott corelli and nick from dueling genre they Mm -hmm. have worked on this script really hard for a long time and like it gets read occasionally by actual hollywood people but then they kind of had to like they had a very introspective moment when COVID hit because it's about like isolation and not being able to be in the presence of other people mm-hmm. and stuff. And it's not about COVID, but they like this is going to be 
it's going to be treated as being about COVID. Right. It's a, well, it's a screenplay that happens almost entirely over a Zoom call. <laughs> like that's, a, that, that's the plot of this thing. And I've watched the table read. It's very good, but it's a rom-com. So spoilers for this non-produced movie, the couple gets together in the end because that's how rom-coms work, right? And I think you guys had Scott on the show? Or did you have mm-hmm. Nick on the show? Yeah, I think Scott. Scott, yeah, it's Scott on the show. And he talks about the joke of it is, honestly, 15 minutes after the camera stopped rolling, these two people break up. <laughs> but, you gotta, but, but a rom-com can never say that. He's, in a rom-com, you've got to believe Harry and Sally end up together because that's the formula, right? He's like, but realistically, if you're basing things just on this entire moment, on this, particularly on something like, you know, Stranger Things, where, you know, wh- why are Jonathan and Nancy a couple? Well, because people were trying to kill them. Evil Russian agents and monsters were trying to kill them and they were horny teenagers. So they became a couple. That's why they're together. And it's, and that's just a thing that happens. And I'm okay if they just kind of grow apart. Like it's kind of weird that, you know, like we're supposed to be rooting for Eleven and Mike to stay together. But I love you. You, I loved you. And like, dude, she was the girl that you found in the woods when you were 12. And when he gives a speech about, you know, what happens when she realizes she doesn't need me? I'm like, yeah, what does happen when she realizes she doesn't need you? Because like, I, that's how, fine. Cause, yeah, because that's how I don't no disrespect for people who have married their junior high sweetheart. I'm sure you're very happy. But like most of us don't do that. You know, <laughs> like that's not like most of the time you date other people in, in a healthy relationship. I've got to say it's like actually needing is not part of a healthy relationship. Right. Like one has to be choosing to be part of this. And if you're doing it because you feel like you can't function without the other party, that's a toxic relationship. And that right. is a problem. And that is not good. And so, like, because she has superpowers, what's she going to do when she realizes she doesn't need me? Well, hopefully, you're a quality enough person that she chooses to stay with you because she shouldn't like because you met when you were 12 (laughs) because like yeah like you shouldn't need each other my biggest thing in favor of steve and nancy is like yeah but eddie said it was a good idea (laughs) you know eddie says something we like eddie said it's like hey you guys have something going and it's like well eddie said (laughs) i i mean i don't know if i like like nancy and steve do not have to get together for me to be happy I appreciate that the love triangle was there because I thought it meant that it like there is unresolved romantic tension. And I was like, Jonathan is not going to make it back to Hawkins. They're going to drag this like out to season five. And that means mm-hmm. all three of them survive. This is what I'm telling myself in my anxiety. about this. What? Can they just be a thruple? Is that reasonable? Like uh, is it- not in 1980s. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I honestly thought I saw more chemistry between Eddie and Steve, not to, you know, but their eye glance and the RV is going to be a meme. <laughs> but I, I do, I don't mind them revisiting Nancy and Steve after they both, I appreciate that like for, you know, a season and a half or so, like they were separated and just like went on totally like separate, like plot lines and like sort of converged and interacted like a little on things like, like the mall at the bottom for star court. But otherwise like they like grew as like people without each other. So I don't hate the sense of like, well, what would they look like now? Like you raise an interesting point, Steve, in some ways, but like at the same time, I mean, high school relationships do grow apart. Like Nancy, perhaps of all the other characters has like dreams and goals and uh, like, you know, wants to go to college and knows where she's going to college. And that isn't like, I don't even, I know that Steve's matured a lot, but has, is he like, is he actually like 
where Nancy is? No. I don't know. No, 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 don't, definitely, don't not. Know. definitely not. Definitely not. I don't know. I mean, no. No. So, like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he doesn't she, need to be. Yeah. yeah she, he might not she, need a, such a strong man. Not that. So, I mean, no, she can handle that like, shotgun like, herself. Like, yeah. like sure. <laughs> But like at the same time, like are their lives like even compatible? No, yeah. she's, gonna go to, she's gonna go to college and meet a whole bunch of new people. Yeah, like like you as someone who met her person in college, like you discover there's more out there than like what's in Hawkins, Indiana. And like the actor Joe Geary, who plays Steve, has said, "Hey, you know what would be interesting if Steve got out of Hawkins." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, like literally she gave that moment of i really have grown up a lot you you know i do love you you are my friend there is something here but oh my god do i not want to have six kids in hawkins indiana like, yeah. like, like, yeah. like she like yeah. she literally just like uh, she's like oh that sounds so nice except for the six kids part which is yeah. the most important part to steve they're yes. not yeah. compatible <laughs> yeah. yeah so like i so they can stay friends yeah i mean another great thing about steve is like he's had romantic interest in both nancy and robin and mm-hmm. despite them either breaking up or knocking together he doesn't stop caring about them like yeah, yeah. they're still friends yeah. you know like like yeah he and robin's like relationship deepened because they like didn't end up together so that can be a model for modern men by the way who yes. take breakups very well <laughs> yeah people have teased me about my love of steve and it's not because yeah no and not just <laughs> it's not just because, it's not because i like the actor or anything though i think he's good in his role it's because i think steve is a good model for men to aspire to in many ways as you Uh were saying and like it's really like it's so sweet like him babysitting him being a mother to his six children is so sweet let us have more you know nurturing moments and friendship moments it's beautiful and i just want to hug them all of them and (laughs) i bet you he's opened max's letter and he's sobbing right now and he his face when she gave him one oh because he didn't think that he deserved one from her i mean the i was crying about the idea of steve dying also because of how much it would impact the kids like dustin would lose his like father figure basically max would lose the only like brother figure that like she's ever had that's positive like too much you guys it's too much anyway i'll stop i'll stop (laughs) we worked that out do you think people are gonna die next season and how many oh gosh i don't want to no nobody dies i I love it again just again as as a writer i would i I seriously would have killed 11 this season yeah do the harry potter well no no. harry potter lives no i mean like the dumbledore but no but to me the interesting story the most interesting place to go here is how do we save the world and and this season tried because but she was helping from afar like to me the interesting place for this world to go is how do we save the world when we have to save the world but we don't have our friend with god like power like like the world the the monsters don't go away just because she saves the world by not saving them which is what i loved about this season but this season showed that they'll try to save the world without her but they can't without 11 they just lose i was think i was wondering if maybe she would have passed some of her power to max I don't want her to. Mm. I mean, yes, I, I, I thought it might happen, but, but I don't want her to. I want to see these human beings go and try to have to, like, the speech that Steve gave this season where he's like, look, normally we rely on this girl who has superpowers. She's not here. 
Doesn't matter. Okay, here's what we're going to do. And then they come up with a plan. Max and Nancy and Steve and Dustin, they're like, here's where everybody's going to be. This is the phases. You know, we're going to do this thing with semaphore, with flashlights. No one move until, you know, phase the phases need to go in order. And they planned it out. Like, that's interesting to me. And I want to see them have to deal with that. So I'd probably kill 11. Because otherwise, what are you going to do? Are you just going to say that? And then for the rest of forever, you know, Neo from the Matrix is just wandering around this world. No, I don't, because they said they want to continue doing things in the Stranger Things world, even though it won't be these kids anymore. So I don't need her to continue. Maybe she'll just retire. She doesn't have to die. I mean, I I want to know that they can't rely on her, that they can Mm -hmm. never rely on her again. And I don't know that she has anywhere to go. So I don't think she's safe next season. I feel like Max stayed alive for a reason. So I think if anybody is most safe, it's the girl who's in a coma right now. Because if you come back and you're like, hey, hey, you know, you're out of a coma now. So about that, like like you're not going to kill her, right? So like I think everybody else is pretty much at risk next season. If it's it's the final season, I think everybody who's Mm. not Max is probably in very real danger. I'm choosing to believe that Robin and Steve are going to make it to the end because Sean Levy said before season three aired that he'll quit the show the day Steve dies. And he was probably joking, but I'm choosing for my sanity to believe it's real. And I'm choosing because Robin's my other favorite. I'm choosing to believe that Robin will be safe and she'll live to see like something beyond Hawkins, Indiana. I'm choosing to believe they'll both see something beyond Hawkins, Indiana. And I, again, I think, like I said this in our last episode, and went on about it, it partially thinking about Stranger Things. I think I said so. Death is not the only like conclusion to a story. It's not the only way to show stakes. It's not the only way to have tension. See Max's final fate in this. I would like to see the majority of the characters finish their story arcs or be set on new story arcs where you know like what's going to happen in the future. The only show where there's been like a ton of like actually two shows. The only two shows where there's been a ton of death that I've been like super okay with is Lost and The Good Place because they use death as a way to give them more storylines to resolve their character arcs. Like, you know, just like, let I mean, like, you know, like, the, death is the easy way to resolve trauma. I think I literally said this last episode. Though doing the work is harder, and that's more in line with, like, what a lot of, like, people experience. Like, yeah. what is life but working through your trauma? So, and so being hopeful like- anyway. So unlike the good place and lost would resolve nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did the lost and the good place resolve things? The good, the good place, place did. Lost yeah. did not resolve yeah. anything. Yeah. Disagree. Well, uh, well, I guess that's not this episode. Okay, anyway, I, agree. Okay. Agree I, I shouldn't disagree. say I shouldn't say lost didn't resolve anything. Certainly, some things were resolved by lost, but you know, there was a lot not resolved. By yeah. lost. Anyway, different episode, like you said. <laughs> I don't know. I think what this comes down to is we really like this show. Uh, Steph, you said you thought this was the best season they've done. Like, without a doubt, yes. Hands down. I I really liked it. A little, again, I'm heartbroken over Max. Like, you guys said you thought she was safe. When she starts doing the, look, I'm going to go in there because it would be wrong of us to spring this on somebody else. When Lucas tells her, hey, you know, why don't we go and read the psychologist's records and we'll find somebody else to be bait? And she says, no, that's when I got really worried for her. I was like, oh shit, they're going to kill her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, that was when, you know, because she was like, 
choosing to make the, you know, the, the, this is the right thing to do. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm getting into. Oh God, you're going to die. And, and, you know, I thought there was real drama when, you know, we see her arms break the way that you say, yeah. the way that Dr. kills people. And yeah. it's like, Ugh. and it was just, it, that was hard and cringy to watch. Actually that effect in general of all the body horror stranger things that has ever done the way Vecna kills people by, yeah. you know, distorting their limbs is hard for me to watch with every single time they did it this season. I'm like, Oh God. Yeah. Not yeah. That. It was brutal. Yeah, I don't know. this repeatedly. I just <laughs> had to look away sometimes. Like, <laughs> yeah. the body hard gets worse every season. Which yeah. we did not talk about how this was like clearly like lots of plays on Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And which is not a series I particularly enjoy as far as what is the 80s nostalgia goes. I'm not a big actual horror fan, which is to say that I'll love a Lost Boys, but I don't care for Nightmare on Elm Street. This I think was good. This is, and maybe it's a different episode, but this does a lot of the stuff that I don't like about the Nightmare on Elm Street series. This does it better. So I very much enjoyed How Stranger Things for four seasons and you know, hopefully for five. Mm-hmm. But for, the, for these four seasons, I, I really like how that's played out, even with its flaws. And just I hope they don't make us wait another couple of years. It, it's going to be. Gonna be a couple years. Actually, I wonder how they're going to do it because they've acknowledged that, you know, it, they're slow to start with because they're trying to be good. But also COVID hit this time, which slowed them down even more. And mm-hmm. so it's the, you know, that three year gap between seasons, which mm-hmm. is very evident in the characters who have aged out of the roles, even though they're trying to pretend they're still teenagers. They've implied that they're going to do a time mm-hmm. jump for the next season, which is kind of weird because of where, like, I don't know how much time jump can you do given that you ended the season with Max in a coma and with them literally opening a hell mouth. And like, yeah. like, it, like you can't just go forward three years unless you're like an Avengers in game kind of thing, right? Like where you're, where it's just like, yeah. And then the world was just hell for three years and that's how it was. <laughs> and, like, I don't, I don't know what you, I don't know what you do. Right. So what did people make of that? Like final ending, Josh, what did you think about the hell mouth? I thought it was interesting. I still think that the whole thing should have been a separate episode because I'm still kind yeah. of confused about the, you know, what are the consequences of the, like Max dying, but then comes back to life. It's how the gate is still open. You know, I'm sure they're going to answer some of that next season, but it like it really should have been its own episode because a lot is happening and it's a little yeah. confusing as to, you know, what it all means. Yeah. Uh, is, does that flaw knock it? Is this your favorite season or do you? I'm still a big season three fan. Scoops true. Scoops true all the way. Never ending story. Okay. Oh, fun, fun <laughs> moment. It's a callback this season. But you know, overall, you know, I still love the show flaws and all. So on that note, then thank you to all of our guests for joining us. Uh, this has been fun. And I mean, oh God, I you know, I guess I was gonna say we could talk then when the finale actually comes, but you know, Welcome back in three years, Josh and Andrew. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure you'll all be here before then. But anyway, thank you for joining us. Anything you'd like to plug? Nothing that I want to plug, but I want to apologize to the actor who played Billy because it turns out he is a nice guy. (laughs) (laughs) I looked him up. He was actually bullied in high school. He's he's just a really good actor. His assholeness like transcends his character. So props to that. But the the haircut he had in that yeah the haircut. In this yes. show did a lot of that work. That in the eyes. Yeah, the eyes. But yeah, just a good actor. Cade Montgomery Harvey, mm-hmm. an Australian actor. Well, good for him. Yeah. And sorry, I apologize again for like the pronunciation of the name. So. <laughs> okay. Well, you're welcome. I'm plugs to Dacro Montgomery, I guess. <laughs> Josh, what about you? Uh, just thanks for having me on again, as always. Look forward to next time. Hmm. Absolutely. You're welcome anytime. Uh, but, you know, Anna makes you be on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I told him he didn't have to be on. 
on. And he oh, said, I, I wanted to brag about uh, uh, USS Butterscotch. Yeah, it's, oh, it's yeah, all about but, the ice cream. Yeah, which and again, that's, that's fair. Check the show notes. I, I will. I will link an image in Josh's dessert and producer Andrew. You can listen to the protagonist podcast or Disney Animation Minute Essentials. Oh, I thought they were going to say more about that. <laughs> well, I mean, like you guys have probably heard about them. It's fine. I mean, you can also like you can also go to Dueling Genre and you can get on their Patreon because I'm frequently on some of the Patreon content there. But those are all secrets for the people that pay money. <laughs> okay. And uh, Palindrome Hannah. So at the top of the show, you can donate to an abortion fund. And if you go to abortionfunds.org slash fund, you can find a list of abortion funds, including like some probably in your state or a neighboring state that might be seeing an influx of like appointments from other states now that like what services are legal in certain states is changing. Absolutely. And that is also linked in the show notes as well. And Wayne. I just gonna hype my book that I mentioned earlier in the podcast. If you like Stranger Things, read my book, King of Summer. It has kids on bikes, monsters and supernatural stuff and all that stuff. Look it up on Amazon, King Summer. Look me up. You can buy it. It's the one of Stranger Things, but I have three other books, so buy this too. <laughs> Absolutely. And you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all the places, always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show, all those same places, at Vox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com where we talk about what we're talking about next week. I have no idea what that is right now, so figure that out. But you can leave us comments on this or any other show. You can pitch yourself as a guest. You can give us ideas for show. Andrew does that a lot. In fact, not today, but often when Andrew's on the show, it's because Andrew said, hey, you guys should do a show on this thing that doesn't fit on one of my two podcasts that I host, (laughs) but we always appreciate it. If you enjoy the show, and we certainly hope you do, then please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. And do us a favor, leave us a five-star review. If you leave us a five-star review, especially on iTunes, that boosts the algorithm, makes us more popular, and really helps us out. I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing out. I would like to thank all of our guests for joining us once again. I'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.